I'm Gwyneth Paltrow, and you're listening to the Goop Podcast, made possible by our friends at Supernatural. Here at Goop, we've never been shy about talking dirty, particularly when it comes to the chemicals often used in conventional cleaning products. These are products that we spread all around us as we spray, wipe, and scrub, and sometimes we end up inhaling them. Luckily, they're super natural. Their cleaning solutions rely on essential oils and powerful plant-based ingredients to get the job done. And when I say powerful, I mean that their starter kit, which includes four of their concentrates, is extremely effective at cleaning up countertop spills, wiping little fingerprints off of bathroom mirrors, and scrubbing the occasional mud footprints from our floors. Get your hands on Supernatural at supernatural.com and receive $10 off your first starter kit using code GOOP at checkout. Hi guys, thanks for tuning in. If this is your first time, here's what you can expect. Every Thursday and a bunch of Tuesdays coming up, Goop editors will be sitting down with thought leaders who are pushing boundaries in their fields. We'll talk to doctors, creatives, CEOs, and relationship experts. I'll be interviewing some people who've had a profound influence on our culture, and you'll also hear a lot from Elise Lunin, who is my right hand at Goop. I learn a lot from the guests she talks with and take away something tangible from every single episode. Today's guest is AJ Jacobs. AJ is a journalist and the author of several New York Times bestsellers, where he does stunts like choosing to follow the Bible literally for a year or reading the entire encyclopedia. AJ calls himself a human guinea pig, which I think I can relate to. His new book, Thanks a Thousand, is a little different than the others. It's a survey on gratitude, as AJ goes on a trip to thank every person involved in producing his morning cup of coffee. I think when you thank other people, you become happier. A lovely little quirk of human nature that, like, helping other people makes you happier because it takes you out of yourself. Our chief content officer, Elise Lunin, met up with AJ in New York City to talk about gratitude and the many ways AJ has lived his life as a giant experiment. Their conversation made me laugh, and I learned that AJ and I are actually related, sort of. Before we jump into the conversation, let's talk about one of our partners. You know those days when you just can't seem to peel yourself out of bed? If you've been listening to the Goop podcast, you'll know that I've been trying to fit more meaningful activities with my kids into our weekends, but we're typically slow to motivate on Saturdays and Sundays. And I don't necessarily want to give that up. I'm not into overscheduling, and I really love those laid-back mornings when our boys and cats pile into our bed and just hang out. The company is good, for sure, but the bed makes a real difference. Avocado Green Mattress is handmade right here in California, and it's the best bed around for a snuggle session. It's super comfortable, but beyond that, the mattress is made really thoughtfully. Avocado has traded out flame retardants, synthetic foams, and chemical adhesives. Instead, for example, they use New Zealand wool, organic cotton, natural latex rubber, and recycled steel coils. Chances are, if it's better for the planet, it's probably better for us, too. Log on to avocadogreenmattress.com to get yours and take an extra $175 off on any mattress by using code GOOP175 at checkout. At the end of today's conversation, I'll be doing a quick round of Ask Me Anything. 
If you have a question on your mind, just drop us a line at Goop on Instagram or Facebook. Now over to Elise and AJ Jacobs. AJ, you're kind of a stunt writer, if, if that's fair, in a more profound way. And I grew up in magazines as well. I know you did that for a long time, longer than I did before. And most people just do these things for an article, but you like to throw yourselves into like a full year plus. Yeah, sometimes too. Living biblically, reading the entire encyclopedia. Exactly. Tracking in this in your latest book, Thanks a Thousand, understanding every single person who participated in your morning cup of coffee. Right. And thanking them. Yeah. And thanking them, which we'll talk about in a minute. But where like where does the OCD, where does the compulsion come from? I love these sort of um, self-improvement projects and I feel I need a lot of self-improvement that, that I'm a fixer-upper. So uh, I like to take on the big topics. So, you know, I want to learn about religion. So I spend a year living by all the rules of the Old Testament <laughs> and had a huge beard and I, you know, I didn't covet and I stoned adulterers. I used pebbles so that no one got hurt <laughs> too badly. Uh but I, to me, that's the most exciting form of journalism. You know, I grew up, uh, I had a fine childhood, but it wasn't particularly exciting. You know, my dad was, uh, he was not an, a spy or an alcoholic. He was just a, a nice man. So I, I couldn't write about that. So instead, <laughs> they say, write what you know. So I figure I'm going to go out and do something interesting and write about that. I love that line, write what you know. I remember my friend Liz, who was a magazine editor at Lucky With Me, a beauty editor, and this her boyfriend came to see her, trying, and he was a screenwriter, and I was like, well, I really hope that you're writing what you know. And he was like, well, um, I just wrote Blades of Glory, which was that. <laughs> <laughs> and was he an ice skater? <laughs> no. Yeah, see, I think write what you know is a dangerous <laughs> thing, because what if you know is wrong? Exactly. Well, so, write, like, go out and find some find out about life and then write about it. So when you decided, for example, to do a year of living biblically and to only wear like cotton, right? right. No well, mixed there are materials. a couple of rules. There are hundreds of rules in the Bible, but one of them is, yeah, no mixed fibers. So right. I had to get rid of all of my poly cotton blends, and, which I feel that goop would is more of a single fiber <laughs> kind of place. So I think you guys are okay. Biblically. So on board. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, there, there was that. And so there were sort of the wacky rules to show that you shouldn't take the Bible literally. But then there was the more serious rules about trying to be a better person and not gossip and covet and lie and that kind of stuff. And in the practice, like in the art of doing to being, I guess, like, did you find that you were transformed? Well, I did. I did. Um, and I've kept dozens of things from that year. You know, not the beard, as you can see. It's a podcast, but I don't have a beard. And uh, But there were many things. One was gratitude, which we'll talk about more. Another was just this idea of one thing that's been a, a real theme throughout all of my projects is how much your behavior affects your thoughts. Mm -hmm. And there's a great quote. I didn't come up with it, but uh, the founder of Habitat for, for Humanity came He says, it's easier to act your way into a new way of thinking than to think your way into a new way of acting. So we think sometimes, oh, I'll change my mind and then I'll change my behavior. Sometimes it's better to do the opposite. So for force yourself, like during this year, I 
well, one experiment, which was on the similar, well, I tried to be the best husband I could be. So I would force myself every day to buy a little gift for my wife, you know, a little like lavender soap or whatever, even if I was really pissed off at her. And just the very act of buying that and giving it to her, it had a profound effect because it was like, oh, I'm giving my wife a gift. I must love her. And then you love her a little bit more. So it's almost like your mind catches up with your behavior. That makes sense. I I can buy into that. And so thanks a thousand, which is about your year of living in gratitude. That's, it seems like you started with some of the foundational science of gratitude practices, which I think are kind of one of those things that we hear about. And everyone, there's like, it's a little bit of a cue the eye roll of, I don't, I don't know why it just sounds not that appealing, but it actually can have sort of a profound effect on. Oh yeah. No, I think, I honestly think it is one of the keys to happiness, if not the, and it has, yeah, the science is there. It's got crazy effects on your your mood and your ability to recover from illness and sleep and exercise and diet. It's just crazy. And I always knew that. And like you, I was like, I want to do it, but it's hard to pull off. Uh, what I would do is every meal, I started this practice a couple of years ago, I would try to say a prayer of Thanksgiving before the meal. The trick is I'm agnostic. So I didn't want to thank God. Uh, So instead, I would say before a meal with my family, I'd say, you know, I want to thank the farmer who helped grow these potatoes and the truck driver who drove them to the store. And I'd go on for, you know, 30 seconds. And and, uh, one day my son, my 11-year-old son, was like, Dad, you know, those people can't hear you. If you really are serious, if you're committed, you should thank them in person. And I was like, that is an excellent idea. Thank you. (laughs) And so that's what I did. I went on this quest to thank a thousand people who helped make my cup of coffee. And uh, because there are, there's, and we just take it for granted. We take all the things that go right for granted and we focus on the three or four that go wrong. Mm -hmm. So it was a real change in perspective to, you know, I thank the farmers, but I thank the truck drivers and you got to thank the people who made the road for the truck, uh, the people who painted the stripes on the road so the truck didn't veer into traffic. I mean, once you think about it, everything is connected and and it was really an an uplifting, It, it sort of changed my perspective and made me made me happier. Well, it's a really fun and fast read. And it's, it is like when you delve into sort of the history of the, the lid and the pallets and you go to the steel factory where they can cook a turkey, it's so hot. Um, it's, it is a really interesting sort of look at the global economy based on something that we all Right. Kind the, of rely on. We cannot be in our own little silos. And I feel that there were, by the way, I think part of why I'm so proud of it is because the editor on it was so brilliant. <laughs> That's Elise's brother is my editor. I will full disclosure. Uh, and he is a, a lovely man. And, uh, he is he, a lovely guy. Very patient when I miss my deadlines. So really? He wasn't patient as a brother, you're saying. <laughs> No, he requires excellence all the time. <laughs> yeah, but excellence uh, delayed. Yeah. That's, he was nice about that. Oh, well, yeah, no, I love my brother, and he's an incredible editor. I'm the only person I am scared to send my stuff to oh. is Ben, because I usually do it thinking I'm going to get a pat on the back. Sure. You know, and nepotism. it just gets 
totally ripped up for the better. Right. But I mean, he calls me out. He never lets me wail. Like I, you know, I like to be a little emotional. He's right. not very emotional. <laughs> so puts me back on planet Earth. The other reason I love that you do coffee is because I'm become increasingly conscious of this myself, but um, and I am certainly not perfect at it is that I feel like it's one of the it's a primary transaction in almost everyone's life and yet most of us are on our phones most of us you talk about this a bit in the book treat baristas and the people working in the cash wrap like ATMs you know like it's very rare that you see people actually engage with the person who's handing them their cup of coffee now and that's sad and do you think that it's enough like in the our, in this practice of gratitude, which you did so extensively, did it feel rote or were you like, did you have a way of pouring your heart into it? Or was it just enough to like look someone in the eyes and have a moment of connection? I think that is certainly the first step. And it's so key because like you say, I've been, I, when I interviewed the barista, because I talked to all these people and got their stories. And she said what drives her crazy is when people treat her like, uh, you know, a, a vending machine and they just hand her their credit card without even looking up from their phone. And I knew, you know, I've been that dick. I've done that so many times. So I made a conscious effort to actually, when I'm dealing with people one-on-one, look them in the eye. It's And it's so small. It takes like three seconds. And it's not just better for them, though. I think it's better for you. Like, it's better for your happiness to realize you have this real connection and that you're, you know, because we are wired as humans to be social creatures. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I think it's, it's very dangerous to be in your own little silo. And, and along the same lines, there's the lesson of uh, the, the person I thanked right after her was the guy who chose the coffee at the shop. Like he goes around the world to South America and Africa and finds the best beans. And I, I like coffee, but I always just like guzzled it. Like, you know, my dog guzzles water. I love my dog, but I don't, you know, uh, he taught me to just take those three seconds and let it sit and try to think about the taste and the sweetness and the acidity. And, and it's, it's th- this idea of savoring is so key to gratitude. Psychologists talk about how they are just so intertwined. And uh, the idea that you can slow down time and just take a moment and stretch it out. And I love that because otherwise you're just like life goes by in a flash unless you like become almost like a, a curator of moments. Find like 10 moments in the day and just really focus on them. What about when, and, and this happens to you throughout the book, which I kind of understand because I would, I would probably feel punked uh, if I were on the other end of the phone <laughs> when you called. What about when it's unmet? Like I, this morning, and I did this for a selfish reason. I, I was in Montreal and I was at a coffee bar and I needed to use my credit card and I needed to hit the minimum. And so there was a guy next to me and I was like, oh, I'll buy his coffee. Didn't look at me, didn't acknowledge me. It was really, it was kind of interesting. interesting. And and to be, I wasn't doing it to be thanked, but I, what happens when you sort of hit the wall? Well, it is interesting because I would try to thank, you know, these hundreds of people and the, the reactions were varied. Like you say, some people were like, uh, 
you know, I'd call him up out of the blue. Oh, I want to thank you for, you know, providing the steel the, for the truck that carries my... And they'd be like, what are you trying to sell? Like, what's going on? Is this a pyramid scheme? But I'd say that was the minority. The, it was really nice to see the vast majority. I would start off by saying, you know, I know this sounds weird, but I want to thank you for... Uh, I called the, the pest control place, and I thanked the woman who kept the bugs out of my coffee at the warehouse. And she's like, you know, that I said, this. I know this is strange. And she said, well, it is strange, but I really appreciate it. It helped make my day. But, but you shouldn't be doing it just to get thanks back. Uh, I mean, the idea is hopefully it'll spread. And also it's just from a very selfish point of view, I think when you thank other people, you become happier, which is a lovely, a lovely little quirk of human nature that like helping other people makes you happier because it takes you out of yourself. And I was, you know, for most of my life, my 20s and 30s, I was extremely self-obsessed. And, uh, and the irony is by forcing myself to be a little less self-obsessed, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm still human, but uh, I'm much happier than I was when I was obsessed with my happiness. And are you happier since writing this book? I believe I am, especially if it's on the bestseller list. Then I'll be <laughs> surely happy. As long as Ben Lonan is happy, then I'll be happy. Uh, no, no, I actually think it changed my life significantly for the better. And, and I've tried to drill, part of it was to drill it into my kids that this is the way to go through life. Because if it's so easy to focus on the three or four things that go wrong. But every moment in your life, you know, just the fact I came up in the elevator and it didn't crash and break my collarbone and we're sitting here and these microphones are working, hopefully. I mean, that's, that's so much went right in every moment to make it happen. And we are focused on the three or four that go wrong. It's true. It's really, I definitely could put myself in your shoes in the book when you were talking about how the minor annoyances of life can sort of disrail your day and... And it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, someone might cut you off, but like your anger doesn't impact them, right? You're only sort of re-injuring yourself or re-slighting right. yourself. So it feels much healthier, obviously, to be able to let some of these things go or to not focus on them at all. In terms of your kids and the way that you parent and you parent gratitude, do you... Is it eye rolling for them or is it rote? Like, how do you move kids past the point of just being conditioned to say please and thank you and exercise sort of good manners? And how do you coach them to a place where they actually understand how lucky they are? Right. Well, it is because, yeah, I mean, first of all, I do love make I, I do make them say please. And even to Alexa, our little household <laughs> robot, they'll be like, Alexa. You know, what's the temperature? And I say, what's the temperature, please? And they're like, she's a robot. She doesn't have any feelings. <laughs> like, how do you know? You know, there's all these flashes. We don't know yeah. that. I know. AI is coming alive. <laughs> so let's be nice to them or else, you know, for our own good. But anyway, I think another thing, I, I was able to get through the eye rolling by making it more of an, a game, like a creative exercise. So instead... Instead of just saying, thank you, I, you know, I would say when we were doing, you know, you we're at the what, amusement park. My kids do love the theme parks. So you would say, you know, who do you think designed 
that roller coaster and how do you think they got the metal for it and and make them think about all the things that went into them being able to have a, a, a fun two-minute ride and I think that if you can make it more of a story and personalize it that's much more effective than just making them say thank you it is completely remarkable and you know going back to coffee the fact i think there's a stat in the book that essentially it's like if every single person who participated in the creation of a cup of coffee was paid minimum wage by american standards a cup of coffee would cost 25 dollars right and, and I, you know, I, I complain like everyone about my $3 cup of coffee, which is in a sense absurd because it's just water and some bean dust. But uh, on the other hand, when you think of what goes into it, it's actually we should be paying more. Mm-hmm. This I thought was really actually kind of made me a little emotional, even though oh. the book on the whole is really quite funny and fun. Almost. But it's when you're sort of talking about luck and you're examining your role sort of in this food chain and the people who participated in this cup of coffee and how you get to like go to Colombia and have this like 10 minute coffee bean picking experience. And you talk about like the role of luck and chance and how that pumps the compassion muscle. And then you say, I need to remember with a few flaps of the butterfly wings, I could have easily been anyone on this coffee chain instead of the consumer. I need to acknowledge this without devolving into condescension because I don't want to assume that I'm happier than the people working on a coffee farm. Perhaps living among the beautiful fog-draped mountains and harvesting the land is a more fulfilling life than what I have. What I am saying is that I'm lucky enough to have more options. I can choose to visit and spend a day picking coffee beans. It's a weird paradox. I'm lucky enough that luck plays a slightly less powerful role in my life. I love that. Well, thank you. I I do. I think acknowledging luck is so important for just that reason, just because it makes you more compassionate and realizing you can be the hardest working, smartest, most persistent person, just have some really bad breaks. uh, And we should be aware of that. And and this came, uh, this also hit me when I, Part of the book is about I thank the people who provide me water because coffee is 98.8% water. And that's it. just being able to turn on my faucet and have clean, safe water come out. I am so lucky. And I just because mm-hmm. uh, billions of uh, billions of people don't have that luxury. They have to spend their days walking to wells and uh, and getting water. So just being aware of how amazing that is. It inspired me to be less complacent, you know, and and realize this is it's unbelievable. You turn a this has never happened before in human history, until the last hundred years that you can little, turn a little switch and have drinkable water come out right into your cup, and uh, and that we take it for granted is is amazing. And that that's the kind of thing I try to drill home to my kids. And if you take, I went up to the the uh, the reservoir in upstate New York where New York gets its water. And I'm going to make my kids go because I think that'll, you know, there are hundreds of people working there just so that we can turn on our, including these like park rangers who have to go around picking up deer poop mm-hmm. and like cow poop and beaver poop so that it doesn't go in. You know, that's not a good job. That is not that. We should be so grateful for these people so that we can have this amazing, this gift. Mm-hmm. 
So funny. I feel like that job, I think maybe it's you me like growing that? up in Montana. I don't think that that's a terrible job. But one of the things that I think is what I also like about what you wrote and, and the condescension part, too, is that so often we attach our values, right, to like everyone who's involved in in the chain of production. Right. You know? And so the, the, the brothers who worked the farm, yes, I'm sure that there, there are luxuries in my life that, but I don't, it's like also kind of fucked up that I would assume that those luxuries would make my life any better. I think like what right. you're sort of getting at is like, you can have everything in the world, right? Easy access to clean water, the perfect cup of coffee, endless American opportunity, and it doesn't necessarily make you right. happy if you don't appreciate it. Yeah, you have to get over what they call the deficit mindset. The psychologists say that, what am I missing? And instead of focus on what you have, and that that's a big change that I tried to do. But it's funny because I remember studying in college this socialist uh, thinker in the 1800s who he his one of his big ideas was that kids should be garbage men and garbage women garbage mm-hmm. girls because they love trash so make them be the garbage people so that's what made me think when you said uh picking up poop is not so bad totally <laughs> and when you think too like who's the most important person in your daily life is it the president or is it the person who picks up your trash mm-hmm. right like who are the people who actually profoundly impact you you are in many ways probably more profoundly impacted by the person who takes your rotten garbage away. Right. Well, that was one of the fun and enlightening things was just to see how many people had an impact on me that I just never thought about. Like the lid on our cup, our coffee, you know, I gave approximately zero thought to the people who designed the lid. But then I called up the guy and I loved it because he was so passionate about, he could have gone on for three hours. Like for me, like 10 minutes was enough. But (laughs) He was talking about the shape of the, the where you put your nose so you can get maximum uh, aroma because it's so much about the aroma. And he, this guy is like the Elon Musk of lids. He was very like innovative. Not he didn't do this one. I love the story too of the Java jacket. Oh yeah, that I love too because I never again never gave any thought to the little cardboard ring that goes around the cup. But someone had to come up with that, and I interviewed the people who did. And it was this guy, it was a father, who was, like, looking for the next big thing. And he picked up his daughter at school and had coffee, and he tried to pick it up in his lap, and it was too hot, and he spilled it. He's like, something needs to be done. And he was the one who did it. And I love that, that it was sort of a very American story, you know, this a small just regular guy, and he saw a problem, solved it, and millions, billions of fingertips have been saved. Do they have just the monopoly on... I don't think they do, which is a bummer. I mean, they make a nice living, but I think that other people do, because there's like, you know, millions of coffee sleeves every day. I'm wondering if it's a patentable idea. I know. I think they tried, at least. Let's take a quick break to talk about our partner. The Goop brand was built on the concept of making better choices, including which creams, oils, and fragrances we use to cleanse our faces and bodies. But what about all the sprays, wipes, and cleaning products we regularly use around the house? 
A lot of the conventional stuff is loaded with chemicals that are actually not necessary for these products to do their jobs. That's where Supernatural comes in. Their effective cleaning sprays are flipping the industry on its head, one conscious concentrate at a time. Not only is every product made using potent plant and mineral-based ingredients, they actually work without any toxic offenders. What this means is that cleaning day has become a much more refreshing, even pleasant experience. This stuff leaves the whole house smelling subtly of essential oils like fur, basil, and lavender. And as a mom, I don't really have to sweat the small stuff, like my kid eating a handful of cereal off the floor or getting their sticky fingers on the mirrors. You can try all four of their formulas with the Supernatural Starter Kit and get $10 off using code GOOP on Supernatural.com. If you've been following Goop for a bit, you'll know we're into essential oils. And if you get our newsletters, then you might have seen the new essential oil diffuser we launched with Vitruvi. The color, called French Grey, was picked out by GP, and it's sort of the defining shade of the company. Vitruvi is a dream company to work with. It's run by siblings Sarah and Sean Panton. They make beautiful stone diffusers that look at home in any office, bedroom, or living space. We like to keep them on our desks, nightstands, and right by the bath. This way, a little pick-me-up is never far away. You just drop a Vitruvi essential oil in to be diffused with water. My favorite Vitruvi scents are probably grapefruit, eucalyptus, and lavender. But whichever essential oils you choose, the diffuser ends up making the air in your space feel like you've just walked into the waiting room of a world-class spa. Between the steam and the sophisticated scent, I always find myself feeling a little more at ease when my Vitruvi diffuser is on in the background, and it's a nice change of pace from your typical candle. This time of year, we have the bergamot and frankincense scents in heavy rotation at Goop. And, spoiler alert, a lot of people on our holiday list will be getting a Vitruvi diffuser paired with a box of their essential oils. This also makes a good house gift to bring to friends hosting holiday parties this year. If you are in the process of tackling your holiday list, Vitruvi's only sale of the year is happening this Black Friday weekend. All their diffusers and essential oil products are going to be 30% off. To check out the sale, just head over to Vitruvi.com. It starts on Friday at midnight on the East Coast and ends Monday at the same time. Okay, let's get back to our chat. So, like, in this quest for self-actualization, I know you became the healthiest person alive. Didn't you investigate your family? Aren't you related to Gwyneth? I am. Exactly. (laughs) We are very close. Actually, hold on. Let me have, I have it here since uh, I, I, hold on. Here it is. We went to Facebook a few, a couple of years ago to do a Facebook Live with Gwyneth, and it was maybe one of the best moments of my life because she did it publicly and then they close it down just for Facebook employees and that part's not broadcast and this kid gets up and he's so nervous and he walks to the microphone and he's like I um I did some family research and <laughs> like this is my familial name and and Gwyneth I don't know exactly who but I think her like great grandfather was like a rabbi in Poland and so this guy tells her his last name and he's like we are distantly related and I think I'm your like fourth cousin and she just looks at him deadpan he's so nervous engineer at Facebook looks at him and deadpans and says oh does that mean we can't have sex (laughs) (laughs) so AJ apparently you cannot have sex with Gwyneth either that's debatable I am married so that's another problem but uh she is 
My wife's first cousin once removed's husband's nephew's wife's third cousin once removed. So we're very, we're practically brother and sister. Uh, so yeah, I loved that. I, she was one of she was one of the first people I searched. Weirdly enough, because I knew that she was part Jewish. Uh, and yeah, this was a project where I. Uh, I, I, it started because I got this crazy email from a guy who said, you don't know me, but I'm your 12th cousin. And I thought it was like, he's going to ask me to wire $10,000 to Nigeria. But he turned out to be legit. And he's one of these people who are building the biggest family tree in history with the goal of everyone on earth will be united in this tree. And right now there are over a hundred million people on it, so I have a hundred million cousins, and uh, and Gwyneth is one of them, and which means she does too. So she's related <laughs> to Barack Obama, and actually I think I found Ben. So I think you and I are cousins. Well, there you go. I there wouldn't you... be surprised. No, there, I can see a resemblance. Well, my wife is uh, is Jewish, and Jewish people are very close. So I actually did marry my cousin. <laughs> I am because she's like my fourth or fifth cousin, but we are cousins. <laughs> it's so wild, like. The whole world of 23andMe and the discoveries that people are making oh, yeah. about and, their parents, about and who is siblings. not their parents. Yeah, I know. I one guy in my book was uh, he had nine brothers and sisters, and they did DNA tests and found out none of them shared the same father. Like the the wife is <laughs> like Maury Povich to the ninth degree. So there there are dangers. I mean, the point of the book was my hope was. All of this will show that we are all one big family, just like you were told as kids, and that we will treat each other with more kindness and less tribalism and not be like, you know, realize. And there is some evidence of this. There's a Harvard study that showed when they told Israelis and Palestinians how closely they related, they were kinder to each other. And I've seen it on a personal level. I call it the Judge Judy effect. Because I always hated Judge Judy, and I just found her very abusive and obnoxious. But then I found out, I believe she's my seventh cousin. And and weirdly, I know it may not be rational, but I'm like, you know what? She's not so bad. She's just Judge Judy. She's Cousin Judy. Uh, she probably is a sweetheart underneath. And it made me just a little more tolerant. So that's the hope, is that we realize how closely we're related. Get rid of this us and them and realize, you know, we've got, you know, we shouldn't be fighting. We got to fight, uh, you know, the environment, you know, global warming. That's the them. Mm-hmm. We've got to be a get together as one big family. And I did have a family reunion, which Ben was at. You were invited, but I guess <laughs> you were not able to come. But with four thousand people and Sister Sledge singing, "We Are Family." That's amazing. I don't think he invited me. <laughs> Well, you'll have to take that up with him. I'm going to see him later, and he is in trouble. It's funny to hear you, because t- it's sort of a different sphere than the psycho-spiritual sphere of, like, we are all one, which I believe, to some degree, I think we all come from the same sort of matter, and I think we all return there. And right. We're all stardust. I mean, We're I, all stardust. I, I, I certainly think it's the same idea. I'm yeah. all for—I I think that's a theme through— that book and also this gratitude book, The Soul Six Degrees, uh, you know, it's not just Kevin Bacon. We are all Kevin Bacon. That's I know. the idea. God, who do you think Kevin Bacon knew that he would be Kevin Bacon? I know. You know what is weird? I used to work at Entertainment Weekly and I 
not my proudest moment as a journalist, but I was one of the first to write about Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon when really? it was a game on the internet. And I called Kevin Bacon's publicist, and I guess I was not very clear of what, and they flipped out. They're like, what are you trying to say? Like, what? It, they were very angry about Kevin Bacon being the center of the universe. Uh, but then I think I've seen later that he's come to accept his role. I'm sure he loves it. Yeah, I mean, like wouldn't? being in the middle of the center of the universe, as exactly. you just said. So what's next? Like, what what do you think in this in the self-actualization of A.J. Jacobs? Like, what? What's your next? I know you're not going to probably tell me, but what are the big questions? Well, it's partly up to your brother, (laughs) (laughs) my editor, whatever we agree on. But I am particularly interested in a couple of things. One is just the the idea of truth. Mm -hmm. And uh, in this age of fake news, how do we know what's true and what's not? So it's it's not sort of a myth-busting thing as much as you know, how do you know, how do we know? How do we know that, uh, how do I know my wife loves me? How do we know that uh, democracy is the best uh, system? How do we know that Trump is a liar? You know, how do we know these things? And uh, because unless we can settle on what is truth, then I think we'll be arguing past each other forever. Mm. I know, it's true. It seemed like the most predominant definition it, it seems so foundational. How can we debate it? Right, but it's it's fallen apart. I, I think we're in a truth crisis. We, we are certainly in a, like, in a truth crisis. That is the one true thing I think that cannot be argued. We are in a truth crisis. Yeah, that seems like a downer. <laughs> what else do you have? <laughs> it is so not a downer. We need it. We need to save the earth. Uh, you know, it'll be a downer when. We can't get out of this situation. I think it's, I think truth is so foundational to connection that you see it, even though our world is in some ways collapsing, you still see that people continue to trust each other. Sometimes. I don't know. I don't think, I think if you look at, uh, you know, the two sides of America, there's trust. Well, that's definitely true. But I think when people actually are engaged with each other. That's true. I think that's a key part is that we, uh, you know, a lot of the online, if you have a conversation with someone offline, looking at them in the eye, it's much more likely to find common ground. Yeah, for sure. What else? What else is in the consideration set? (laughs) Well, I did one piece on um, trying to be the most rational person alive. Boring. What? What is the fun in that? It is so important because (laughs) the idea is that we all have these crazy biases, like just everything in our lives. You know, the fact that 80% of us believe that we are above average drivers. That's crazy. That's impossible. Um, Or that you, a conservative and a liberal, read the same article and they both come away with exactly the opposite. Well, this is the this is a part of your truth book, right? It's similar. It's yeah. in the same area. It's. I think you could all you could wrap it up in with one tiny bow. There you go. I want. What do I want AJ Jacobs to answer? 
Well, I'll tell you, readers suggest a lot of books. So one was, I should try to be the greatest lover in the world <laughs> and like do all the positions in the Kama Sutra. And my wife was like, I brought it up and she's like, that's not going to happen, which is actually good. I don't really, I'm too old. I don't have the flexibility. Maybe some of your younger listeners would be better suited. The passing of the baton. Yes, I am happy to pass that baton. <laughs> Uh, um, but yeah, and I get a lot of uh, I get a lot of suggestions, which I love. Please keep them coming. I don't know that I like I I would love to visit every country. Oh yeah, I would too. But I got the kids. Or I maybe know not. that's problematic. That, I mean, that's my wife's is go to every restaurant in New York City, which would be several lifetimes because I think lifetimes. there are like you know a hundred thousand something crazy and in the book you write about how many of them get shut down by the health department there you go so there. i don't you'd have to like start at the bottom in right. order to visit those before they're before invariably they're... <laughs> shut down and then maybe you wouldn't even survive to get to the a's it would be a very dangerous project that's right very i'm dangerous. willing to try dangerous and expensive yeah. but I also wanted to do, you know, Michael Pollan wrote a book about psychedelics. Yes, I know. And I was going to, I have been wanting to do that for many years, but I, I had the kids and I'm like, I can't be saying in, on the one hand, don't take drugs and then say, daddy's taking every drug known to humans to see what happens. He doesn't take every drug. He takes LSD, right. mushrooms, 5-MeO, DMT, mm-hmm. ayahuasca. Still, that's a little more. <laughs> still the same uh, mixed message, I think, see, regardless I would, of it, the total number. I would like to see you stretch. I would like you to see you go into the uncharted territory of the other side. Right. Yeah. Well, that's, yeah, some people want, like, you know, yeah, mystical experience, which I explored a little in the year of living biblically. So maybe, maybe, maybe. I don't know. I like the idea of you just flying high. <laughs> okay, I will tell Ben that his sister wants me to go on drugs. We appreciate you listening today and always. You can learn more about AJ's work and books at ajjacobs.com. And now I'll take a question from one of you guys. Ryan asks, what do you make or pack for your kids' lunches? Oh, Ryan, my kids, they like pasta. They like quesadillas. (laughs) I really want them to branch out. But if my son had it his way, I would pack him a Nutella sandwich for lunch every day, which I don't do, but sometimes I will. My daughter, actually, now, she will make her own lunch. She's in the kitchen in the morning making some kind of stir-fry quinoa thing. She's vegetarian. She's very into it. Sometimes if I know that we have to pack a lunch the next day, I'll also just go to Whole Foods and get, like, a avocado roll. That's a really good packed lunch. If you have a question you'd like me to answer here, send it over to Goop on Instagram or Facebook. That's it for this episode of the Goop Podcast. If you have a chance, please rate, review, and let us know what you think. To keep up with new episodes, just hit subscribe. And don't forget to tell your friends. 
For more info, check out goop.com slash the podcast. See you soon.